Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is episode number eight. Today, we are going to talk about sleep, but not how you're thinking. I'm not going to tell you how important sleep is for your health and wellness. You already know that. I'm not going to tell you all of the negative effects that inadequate sleep has on your mood and cognition and even motor skills. You know that too. And I'm certainly not going to tell you in a scolding way that you should sleep more. First of all, you already know that. Second of all, it probably feels completely tone deaf to tell someone who works 50 to 60 hours a week and might work 24 hour shifts that they really should be sleeping more. Come on. No, what we're going to talk about is why you're not sleeping when you can, at least not as much as you can. If someone asked you why you don't sleep more, your automatic answer would probably be something along the lines of, well, I would if I could. And then you might give a list of tasks and obligations, both from work and family and anything else you might have going on, and explain that those things make it impossible for you to get more sleep. You get home late, have to make dinner, cart the kids around to activities or help with homework if you have kids, take care of the pets if you have pets, run the laundry, etc. And then when all those things are done, you might want to wind down from your day a little, put some something mindless on TV, chat with your partner, read, whatever you do to wind down. I think it's a pretty safe guess that most of us have a lot of things that seem to fill up every minute of free time. Before we know it, we're going to bed an hour later than we'd planned to. Time has a way of just getting away from us. I think it's also a pretty safe guess that if we really scrutinized how our free time is spent, we could find a lot of little chunks of time spent on things that aren't necessary or even useful. Maybe scrolling social media on our phones, doing anything on our phones for that matter. They are literally designed to be a constant source of distraction. Well, all of those little chunks of time can add up to an extra half hour or even an hour of sleep. And I know, you know this already too. We all know it. We can be in the middle of scrolling through something on the phone and think, I really should turn this off now and keep doing it anyway. Did you ever ask yourself why? You know it would be better to put it down and get more sleep. You know you'd feel better the next day and the cumulative effect would be great. So why does it keep happening? Well, this next part might be news to you. It's not because you're lazy or lacking motivation. It's not because you're bad at managing your time. It's because of how the distracting activity makes you feel. In coaching lingo, these things are called buffers. A buffer can be anything you do that gives you a temporary dopamine boost, but has a negative final result. Buffers will temporarily distract us from our feelings and make us feel good, but they're not so good for us in the long run. And of course we like to do these things. We're hardwired to look for things that make us feel good and avoid stuff that feels hard. It's completely normal. You're completely normal. Now, is it buffering to read your Twitter feed for 10 minutes while you're waiting for your coffee to brew? No, there's no negative impact there. It's just a little bit of time and you probably weren't gonna be doing something more useful anyway. But if you were planning to go to bed and you found yourself down a rabbit hole on TikTok an hour later, that's probably buffering. If you're like me, 
you probably know that there are some good sleep hygiene habits that you should be doing, but you don't. Why? Doesn't it seem logical that we would want to do things that give us better sleep? We're smart people. How come we're not doing the things that we know are important? Or, I might add, following the advice that we give our patients. It's because the reward of those beneficial behaviors is so gradual and subtle, it just can't compete with the big flashy rewards that we get from the buffers. And again, there's nothing wrong with you. This is 100% normal. And again, engaging in these things does not mean that you're lazy or unmotivated or bad at time management. It actually means that you have a perfectly normal human brain that's trying to make life as happy and easy for you as possible. The bad news is your brain is completely misguided about this. The good news is that you can learn how to like the beneficial behaviors and care a whole lot less about doing the detrimental ones. All right, so here's an example. Kids hate brushing their teeth. It's almost universal. They fake it, they lie about it, they complain about it, they just hate it. Adults love brushing their teeth. It's the first thing we do in the morning and the last thing we do at night, and if we skip it for some reason, we feel really gross. The actual act of brushing your teeth is pretty tedious. I'm gonna guess that not many people truly get enjoyment from the physical act of brushing their teeth. It's the result that we love. So somewhere along the way, after a lot of repetition and re reinforcement, our brains learn to completely tune out the part that it's tedious and it just shows us the reward at the end. Clean teeth, fresh breath, avoiding the threat of painful dental work, it's a no-brainer. Probably when you're really little though, having the inside of your mouth feel cold and minty feels weird and unnatural. But as adults, it feels great. This is something that happens for pretty much everyone, probably with no thought or effort at all. It's a great example of how we can learn to enjoy and want to do something that's good for us even when the perceived reward is delayed or subtle. But back to sleep hygiene. For me personally, I know that if I meditate before bed, I'm usually going to fall asleep faster than if I'm watching a show on my iPad in bed. In fact, if I'm lying down for the bedtime meditation, there's close to a 100% chance that I'll fall asleep before the end. I like meditation. Sometimes I'll do guided medita meditation, sometimes just with some background noise like nature sounds. It depends on my mood. But anyway, I know it's good for me. I enjoy doing it. And yet, some nights the iPad wins. The reason that happens is because I haven't yet put in the work I need to do to train my brain to look past the momentary pleasure from the buffer and instead focus on the long-term gain. And some nights, I might have thoughts and feelings rolling around in my head that I don't want to look at. That's when the pull toward buffering behaviors will be strongest, ironically, since those are the nights that you need the meditation the most. The good news, though, is that I'm learning over time that most of those things that we avoid because they seem big and scary turn out to not be so bad after all. If you just allow it to happen and process it, most emotions are really not so bad. Aside from buffering, Another thing that can interfere with our sleep is scarcity. Scarcity isn't generally a problem for me with most things, but I really have it about sleep if I don't monitor myself. Scarcity is just what it sounds like. It's getting a panicky feeling because you think there isn't enough of something. If you're in the wilderness, it's probably great to have scarcity about food, water, and shelter, 
because obtaining and protecting those resources will keep you alive. But a lot of us will have scarcity about certain things without there being a logical reason. Anyone who's trying to sell you something is likely to employ scarcity at some point. Limited offer, act now, this is your last chance. Sign up fast, spots are filling. It's all designed to make you feel an urgent need for something that probably isn't the slightest bit urgent. Because I'm an OBGYN, and because I'm in a practice model that has mostly 24-hour in-house calls, there are at least a few nights a month that, more likely than not, I won't get much sleep. I actually do okay with call and not getting sleep. I know my body needs to recover the next day, so I don't work post-call. No patient care at all. At most, I might accept a meeting or two, but only if it works around my napping schedule. So most of the time when I'm on call, I'm not too worried about sleep because I know I've protected myself the next day. When I have the most trouble with sleep scarcity is actually the night before call. If I'm not monitoring my thinking, here's some thoughts that will creep in. Tonight's sleep is really important, so I better get a lot. If I don't sleep enough tonight, I'm gonna to be miserable tomorrow. I can't handle any extra stress tonight or I won't be able to sleep. If one of the dogs gets me up in the night, I won't be able to fall back asleep and tomorrow will be ruined. And then the math starts. If I go to bed at this time, I can get X hours of sleep. And then that time comes and I'm not quite asleep yet and I check the clock. Oh no, now I can only get Y hours of sleep. That's a fun game. I've seen memes about this, so I know I'm not the only person who does this. Let me break it down so you can see why it's happening. We can start by picking one of those thoughts. We'll go with, if I don't sleep enough tonight, I'm gonna to be miserable tomorrow. When I think that sentence in my mind, if I had to name the emotion it causes in one word, it would probably be anxious. When I'm anxious, I ruminate over all of the things that could keep me from sleeping well and all of the potential consequences for me the next day, headache, then feeling nauseous and jittery from too much caffeine, being grouchy. I also keep checking the clock over and over and recalculating my best case scenario about how much sleep I might get. And all of this makes me more anxious and more awake. So guess what the end result is? I don't get enough sleep and I'm miserable tomorrow. See how it all comes full circle? As it turns out, this is not a coincidence. It's also not just me predicting a likely progression of events based on past history. What's happening here is that I'm actually causing it to happen. Obviously, the last thing I want is to have less sleep, so this is entirely unintentional. But here's what happens. You have a thought, and it causes an emotion. Emotions drive us to behave and act in certain ways. Those actions or inactions will almost always work to prove the thought true. This is called the thought model or thinking cycle, and it's extremely predictable. We are really good at either looking for or creating evidence that what we believe must be true. So the simple act of me thinking I can't sleep indirectly and inadvertently causes me to not sleep. Sneaky, isn't it? Well, good grief, now what? You might be thinking that on some level you already knew this. There may have been a time that you were feeling anxious about something and realized that the anxiety was making things worse and then went into a spiral because now you're aware of the fact that your anxiety is causing a problem and this makes you more anxious and now it's all your fault. Well, sort of. 
Yes, your brain created the situation, but you do have the power to redirect it. If you listened to episode four, we did an in-depth discussion of some techniques for redirecting a thought deviation, so I'm not gonna go into all the detail here. But remember how I recognized that trying to tell myself I wasn't upset about something that clearly upset me was not gonna be a successful strategy? The same thing applies here. The key to turning this around is starting with trying to figure out what exactly your brain is trying to accomplish and why. I have scarcity about sleep, so my brain wants to protect this resource. All good. The way it's trying to do so is by making me worry about sleep. Not good. It's just an error. I can acknowledge the good intent, appreciate it, and say no thank you. If you go to a dinner party and the host has spent hours preparing a dish that would cause you a severe allergic reaction, you'd do the same. You might say, that looks amazing. Thank you so much for all the effort you put into it. I'm going to pass because I'm allergic. It's the same thing. Thank you, brain. Thank you for trying to protect my sleep. I'm going to pass on stressing about it. I'm not doing that anymore. Now, be prepared. You're not going to drop it immediately. This will take some practice. You'll find yourself having the same inner conversation multiple times, but eventually those conversations get farther and farther apart. And eventually, now that you're declining the stress and anxiety, your brain will come up with some better thoughts. So now, now that I have been practicing this for a while, in the middle of the night, if I wake up and look at the clock, instead of thinking, oh no, now I'm awake, I deliberately think about how comfortable my bed is. I really love my bed. I get myself all situated and I just relish how comfortable I am. More times than not, I'm back asleep in minutes. It's so much better than the scarcity. Okay, last point, and this part is really important. This next concept took me years before it finally clicked. I hope I'm explaining it better for you so that you can figure it out a lot faster than I did. You cannot beat or shame these habits away. You can't. It doesn't work. Right about now, you're probably thinking, oh, sure I can. That's how we deal with a lot of things, right? Well, you might be right up to a point. You might be able to curb some urges or habits by scolding or threatening yourself or by willpower, but those things will only last so long and then they will not only stop working, they will backfire. Here's why. Listen up, I promise you this is really important. The reason this doesn't work is because what's going to happen in the background if you're being mean to yourself is that you're going to want or need some positive feelings even more than you did at baseline, and this will make the drive for those dopamine-boosting activities even stronger. You're feeding the gremlins after midnight, and it's not going to end well. You got to tell those gremlins kindly and lovingly that this is not what they need, and just say no, and keep practicing until it becomes easy. All right, I think that's enough for today. Thanks again for joining me. If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, go to whitecoatlifecoach.com and schedule a free session. See you next time.
Any opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employers.